are back in Mark, in our series on Mark. Um, we've just done our series on our values, and we wanted to kick off our week in the, uh, kick off our year even, in the right way. Um, and so, sort of, we took a break from talking about Mark, um, and Mark is just to, to recap and, and sort of um, get you back into the idea of Mark. Mark is a gospel. It's one of the four in, the, in our Bible. Um, and the gospel is the good news. That's what the word means. It means good news. And in this case, it's good news about Jesus. It's not a chronological account. Many people will hold that against the Bible and they will sort of say, ah, oh, but, you know, it should be a historical account. And it's, you know, otherwise, sort of the four Gospels, they would all tell the same story in the same order. And they don't. Therefore, it's all nonsense. And the reality is that it's not a chronological account. It tells the story with a purpose. And that is why the four Gospels tell the same stories quite often, or they'll miss a few out and others will have other stories in. But they tell a story about the goodness, the good news of why Jesus came to earth. And so Mark was written by a guy called Mark, Actually, his name was John Mark, um, but we get confused with John, so sort of he was John Mark, and he had very close relationships with Paul and with Peter. Um, and so he starts Mark with his one and only statement about what he believes. And he says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. After that, he starts presenting his evidence for why Jesus was the Son of God in the hope that the readers can draw their own conclu conclusions. So the Bible Project says about Mark that it's, it's split into three sections. There's the section in Galilee, um, and there's the section, the last section is in Jerusalem, and then the middle section is on the way to Jerusalem. And the first section deals with who is Jesus. For instance, he quite often forgives people of their sins. And the Pharisees got their knickers in a twist about that because the only person who can forgive sins is God. And there's this man forgiving people of their sins. How can that be? But it's not insignificant that Mark mentions it a number of times. It's not insignificant that the Pharisees really didn't like what Jesus was saying. So that's the first section, is about who is Jesus. The second section 
is, again, who is Jesus? But this time it's about the disciples themselves grappling with who Jesus is. And in the middle of Mark, you get the transfiguration. You get to see Jesus transfigured into a reality of who he was. And that was only before three of the um, disciples. It wasn't before everybody. It was held back until Mark was able to record it because Jesus had gone back to heaven. So, but the disciples see Jesus and three of them see him transfigured and they see him as the Messiah. In fact, when Jesus asked them, who do you say I am? Peter goes, well, you're the Messiah. And the interesting thing is that word, Messiah, is about Savior, but it has so many connotations because there were different attributes assigned to who the Messiah was going to be. And they saw him as a victorious king who was coming back to save Israel and rescue them from the Romans because they were in an occupied land where the Romans were oppressing them. And that was who the Messiah was going to be. That wasn't Jesus' understanding. Jesus' understanding was that it would be as well as that victorious king, but the victory would be bigger than just over the Romans. But Jesus' understanding was about the suffering servant king, that he came to suffer and die. We're now going to go into, basically, into that third bit where we go into Jerusalem. And there's lots of different events that happen, but we, see, we will see Jesus enter as the royal king. We see him proclaim his authority when he turns over all the tables. All of that's to come. Spoiler alert, by the way. Um, but Mark 13 is there in this. And um, the last sermon that we had talking on our series in Mark talked about Jesus' authority and looked at the parable of the tenants. Um, it looked at uh, about paying taxes to Caesar and about the great commandment, and then about the widow's offering. So that was the very last sermon we had on Mark. And now we're going into um, Jesus talking and dropping a bit of a bombshell. And he talks about the future about how things will start coming to a close and ending. And I don't have time to read it all um, now, but I'm just going to summarize it. So Jesus talks with his disciples about the future. 
he explains how there are going to be wars, how there's going to be earthquakes, how the sun will be darkened, how the stars will fall from the sky. He explains how people will turn on one another, even within families. He explains how people will be out to deceive one another, to do that for their own gain, their own profit, their own end. And he talks about how terrible that time is going to be. It's so terrible that God, in God the Father, in his infinite wisdom, has cut short those days so that at least some people will survive. But the great thing that comes out of John 13 is that Jesus will return. Only God the Father knows when he will return. Not even Jesus knew when he was going to return. But he will return. And we are to keep watch. That was Jesus' saying, keep watch. And it's not an idle watch, it's a doing watch. It's doing the, the, excuse me, doing the things that Jesus has called us to do whilst we keep watch and wait for Jesus to come back. So, I'm going to just because it's such a big chapter and there's so much packed in there, lots of people have differing ideas about Mark 13, but I'm just going to pick up on a few verses that God just pointed out to me that I felt to share with you. First thing I want to say before I get into Mark 13 is it's one of those chapters, and our chapter boundaries are a little arbitrary, but, you know, it's about what God was, about what Jesus was telling his disciples. And it's one of those that you go, I don't fully understand that. That's a little concerning. Confusion's okay. In our society today, people will tell you it's not okay to be confused. But it may not be the most comfortable place to be. But not understanding fully what Jesus is saying is okay. See, sometimes I think we come to the Bible and we read it and we say, what does this mean to me? What can I get out of this? And it's not always the best place to start. Actually, in some ways, a better place quite often is to say, what does this tell me about Jesus? What does this tell me about God the Father? What does this tell me about the Holy Spirit? And what did it mean to the audience that it was written to? See, I can't imagine that John Mark 
could think of what the 21st century would be like, what 2,000 years would exist like. I certainly can't think 2,000 years ahead. I hope by then Jesus has returned. But there's no guarantee, and I don't know whether we'll be flying in spaceships. I saw an interesting program that was talking about kids and what they imagined would happen in 30, 40 years' time. I can't imagine 2,000 years. But what does it mean to the people it was written to? Another good thing to do is to say to the Holy Spirit, to say, I'm a little confused. Will you help me with this? Will you help me understand what you need me to know? There are bits of the Bible that are just long lists of names. And you go, what am I meant to take away from this? That's another story. We won't get into that one just yet. Um, But it's good that we um, read all of Scripture, that we read all the books of the Bible, that we don't take things in isolation Because it's very easy to look at Mark 13 and build a theology based on Mark 13. But that's not what God says. God says a lot more than just about the future and the signs of the end. We need to avoid being led astray by others without thinking about what they're saying. Note that I say we need to avoid being led astray. I don't say we need to avoid being influenced by others. I think influence is a good thing. But at the heart of it, we do need to work out what we believe, what we think about the Scriptures. And as I say, confusion is okay. To say, I don't have all of this worked out, There's nothing better than when somebody comes along to me and challenges me about something that I wasn't even aware I was really believing. That I've believed something all my life because it's how I've been brought up. And somebody comes in and just goes, typically it's Andrea, because she's that close to me. She just sort of taps at these things and says, why do you believe that? See, that's a sign of maturity. In Ephesians 4, Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every aspect, the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. In our culture, we want definitive answers. But we should be comfortable with not having every answer. 
faith is bigger than your confusion. See, faith expresses a hope in the things we haven't yet seen. It reminds me of the story about the two wolves. Which wolf will you feed? Will you feed the wolf of fear? Will you be concerned about what the future offers? Quite honest, I'm not looking forward to being in wars. I can't imagine what it's like to be a Ukrainian. And that's just one area of the world. I can't, well, I know a bit about what it's like to go through an earthquake. I had, as a young lad, was out in Athens and there was a big earthquake. I think it was about sort of seven on the scale. But I just, you know, don't want to be there. But I'd rather feed the wolf of faith. The wolf that says, God has a plan for me, and it's a plan for my good. Yes, I may walk through tough times and feel like I'm outside of his plan, but that's okay. I am in his plan. See, the disciples were confused, and they did the right thing. They went to Jesus and said, will you explain this to, to us? So four of them just took Jesus aside and said, explain what you meant by that. And Jesus then goes into all of this explanation that we see recorded in Mark 13. I think, in part, probably, the disciples hoped that they'd get a very distinct timeline and they'd know exactly sort of what was going to happen in Jerusalem. But that wasn't how Jesus explained it. And maybe they were still confused. In fact, when you read, they probably were still confused by the end of it. Right, let's get into Mark 13, because I'm sort of going around. Um, but I just felt that's important. Mark 13 starts with... Um, one of the disciples going, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And Jesus replies with, do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Kind of feel like in this day and age, it ought to be a boom. Mic drop, yeah? But that's an immense thing. You've got to take it from the disciples' point of view. And the disciples grew up fishermen. They weren't used to being in Jerusalem. And the temple, and this was temple number three, yeah? There have been previous temples on that site. And they were actually even more glorious but that doesn't detract from how amazing the temple was. It was resplendent. It was an amazing sight. But I think to Israel, it became something else. It became a religious symbol. It became 
we have a God. Look how great our God must be if this is our temple. It was man-made. And that's the point. It was man-made. It represented, yes, something of heaven. But it was still man-made. It's like looking in a mirror and thinking about the mirrors of old that are dim, that you can't quite make out the reflection versus seeing someone face to face looking at your wonderful faces. It's like knowing in part, but in the future, knowing fully. The temple was a place to meet God, not to meet the things of man. So what should we be looking at? Well, God, obviously. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Jesus told his disciples these things not to scare them, the things that were coming in the future. He didn't describe them to scare the disciples because he told them he would be with them to the end of the age. But he wanted to equip them. That's often why we have prophecy that we share is because it allows us to be equipped with what's to come. What do we get from Mark 13? First thing, I already said this at the beginning, Jesus is going to return. The son of, at, that time, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Second thing is that we're intended to learn a lesson from what's around us. Jesus said about the fig tree and how it budding, but it applies to any tree. When we look, trees come into blood, bud, and then leaves come out. And we know that the days are getting longer, the summer's coming. That's the season we're in at the moment. And that should apply to reading Scripture. We need to read Scripture and hold it and know what God is doing. See, if we read and digest the Scripture, we'll be able to know what is happening in the world. We're intended to interpret what is happening out there by what we read in our Bibles. It's not supposed to be the other way around. Many people out there will tell you, you can't believe that. You can't interpret the Bible that way. But we're supposed to read the Bible and interpret what's happening out there. Is it surprising that it feels like there are more wars? I'm not sure whether there are. We were talking about this last night with Pete and Jane, his wife. 
talking about sort of what is happening in the world. I think sometimes we sort of, Andrea said, we look at it in such a short period of time. Because I can't imagine 2,000 years ahead. But actually, you know, wars are happening. And earthquakes are happening. Use the Bible to interpret what is going on there. But read it with faith about what God is doing. We were talking on Wednesday at home group, going over what we'd been doing in our value series. And um, we talked about, well, Olympia shared about how we're all different, um, but that um, I'll put words into her mouth. She didn't express it this way, but we're changing from one degree of glory into another, that God's doing things with us. And as Olympia shared, I was challenged and just sort of thought, it's challenging to know when God is knocking off an edge to us and when he's actually just polishing us and honing our skills that God has given us for a future time. But reading the Bible helps us with that, helps us. Interacting with the Holy Spirit helps us come to a reality of what God is doing. And that's the challenge, is being sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing at a specific time. What are you building? We're all building something. We've all got things that we're looking to. What's your legacy going to be? Are you building physical things that will be torn away, will pass away? Or are you investing in God's kingdom? Where's your focus? Are you looking at the right things? Verse 10, Jesus was saying, the gospel must be preached to all nations. See, God is interested in people. He made you. He made you in his image. He made you to be his temple, the place where he dwells. He made each one of you. And Kofu brought this morning about how passionate he is about you. We heard it last week too. He made all the people out there, even if they don't recognize him, it's still the fact that he made them. And he's passionate, absolutely passionate about each one of you, about each one of them. He's passionate about you as you are. Jen shared again just how God loves you as you are. You're not perfect. 
But God doesn't expect you to be. He doesn't want you to be. There are things that he wants to knock off. (coughs) But that's fine. He's passionate about you here and now. See, you wouldn't be sat here if someone hadn't invested in you. Someone, and probably, actually, more than one person, has invested in you, took time to tell you the good news, the gospel about Jesus, about who he was, about who he is, and about who he will be. And they took time to tell you who you are in the light of who Jesus is. (coughs) See, it's easy for us to live our lives forgetting that Jesus is going to come back. It's easy to say, I'm saved. I accepted Jesus. I needed a Savior. I accepted Him. It's done. And I don't need anything else. (coughs) But that's not what God called you to. He called you to um, do things. He is Lord. That means... He's the boss. And when I submit my life to him, what I want to do is I want to do what he tells me to do. And if he hasn't come back, spoiler, he hasn't, but if he hasn't come back, there must still be things to do. There must still be people to invest in to tell how good God is, how good Jesus is. God's igniting in me and the other elders a passion for the people in Blackpool. He started that for me almost 15 years ago. He's fanning it into flame. His passion is becoming my passion. That's why we asked to be part of the Emmaus project that Steve Hurd told us about a couple of weeks ago. We want to be equipped to talk with people out there. If you're not following along, we're already in two or three of these values that we hold from Mark 13. We want to see Blackpool turned around. Not just the physical, the front, the shops, although that's great. It's almost a preempt to God investing in the people of Blackpool. And that's what we're passionate about, is we want to invest in the internal. Verse 11, don't worry. 
about a thing. Sorry, can't help it. But Jesus tells the disciples not to worry that it's going to be the case that they will find themselves in difficult situations. You can do everything right and still feel like it's wrong. Like it's all breaking down around you, like it's all going wrong. Jesus is very clear with his disciples. You're going to meet resistance because you share about Jesus. I think reality is that's why I find it difficult to share about Jesus. I don't want trouble. I just want to do the right thing. The question that God asked me is, who defines what's right? Me? You? People out there? Or God? See, there's an inherent promise in this verse as well that the Holy Spirit will be with us wherever we are. The Holy Spirit will give us what we need to say. Yeah? We were talking or singing this morning. Last week, we were known, God was speaking to us about just breathe in. His ruah, his breath, will be with us for us to breathe in that his breath is life to us. God's breath is love to us. God's crazy about you. And this allows us to shout to proclaim what God is speaking, to sing to His glory. We're a people who are marked by His presence. I'm going to leave it there. If, when you go and read Mark 13, and I'd encourage you to do it, there are things that bother you, don't just sit on them. If you can't work with the Holy Spirit about it, or you want someone to talk with you about it, come and see me or the other elders, and we'd be happy to talk with you about it. The future is not a place of fear. Not for us. Because what can man do to us? Indeed, God is for us. Jesus, we say it's all about you. Jesus, we're so grateful for what you've done for us. Jesus, we thank you that you came and you died for each one of us and that you rose again. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit that we're not in it alone. And Jesus, we look forward to the day that you will return.
where we will see you face to face, not like a mirror. Lord, we long for that day. But Lord, we want as many people in this area to know you before that day happens. Lord, will you equip us? Will you help us as we reach out to the world? As we are transformed? Lord, we say, not my way, but yours. Have your way amongst us, Lord. Thank you, God.